can be who it says I can be. Today I will be taught the incorruptible, indestructible Word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. My life is going to be the better after having heard the Word of Faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, as, as we speak about going mobile, Lord, as we speak about the influence and impact of that influence that we have. That God, you will cause my mind to be clear and my words to be clear, Father God. I pray, God, that the seeds that will be sown today will fall on good ground. Now, the enemy will not take away the seed that's falling today, Lord. But, Lord, we thank you for the investment in your kingdom and for the opportunity to just be here. We just pray, God, that you will use me as a vessel fit for your use and that it will be communicated effectively and properly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated and want to let you know that the clip we're about to show you is from the movie Rambo, the new one. Did you know there was one? All right. So, go ahead. The lights are going to dim. Why'd you come back? Waiting for you. I told you before I can't help you. Well, we need to go and help these people. We're here to make a difference. We believe all lives are special. Some lives, some no. Really? If everyone thought like you, nothing would ever change. Nothing does change. Of course it does. Nothing stays the same. Live your life because you got a good one. It's what I'm trying to do. No, what you're trying to do is change what is. And what is? Go home. Really, go home. your faith in people but you must still be faithful to something you must still care about something maybe we can't change what is but trying to save a life isn't wasting your life is it amen so I love the life the line that she says saving a life is never wasting your life. Amen. And as we've been talking about in our Go For God series, we've been talking about saving lives and bringing others into the kingdom and what that means for everybody. And here we see in the, in the clip a perfect picture of two different approaches to helping people, to saving lives. The movie's about Rambo, of course, and um, what he does. Oh, that's me, by the way, running through the meadows. <laughs> That's me in my dreams. <laughs> anyway, so what happens is that he, you know, Rambo has a lot of issues. You know what I mean? He's got a lot of issues. And what he does is instead of him dealing with his issues, he ran away to the, the Amazon somewhere in the jungle. And he's been there just living his little life just fine. And then this Christian missionary comes and she's like, hey, we have a medical team that needs to go to this village because we need to go save these people's lives. And he's saying, you know, the, the prelude of this is going, 
you know, I, I, don't, I don't do that. That's your problem, whatever. And she's saying, you know, hey, you're the only one that knows the river and this kind of stuff. So here she's trying to convince him that saving lives is important. It's just not all about you. And as the movie goes on, this conversation actually changes its course, and he ends up taking them up the river and helping them out. So we can be consumed like Rambo in our own world and just be in a jungle. We can focus on our own problems and our own defeats, so we can be part of something bigger. We may not have all the resources that other people have. We may not be the same size and have the same background and the same experience that each person has beside us. But there's one thing that we have that everybody has. It's called influence. Say influence. Influence. Everybody has influence. You don't have to buy it. It's not on sale. I mean, you can just, you just have it. Everybody is connected to somebody. Everybody has a sphere of influence. Someone somewhere is listening to you. Someone somewhere is watching you. Today, we're going to talk about using your connections and your influence to win others for Christ. You won't reach others for Christ if you're not doing three things. A, if you're not concerned, if you're not convinced, and if you're not connected. If you're not concerned, you're not convinced, and you're not connected. Now, here's the thing. You must have a concern for the lost. For those who are not saved, we must care about what Christ cares about. So we talked about last week that his last command must be our first priority. What he deems important, we should deem important. So here it is that if we don't have a concern for the lost, we won't, do, we won't fulfill the will of God. Turn to Luke 15. Luke 15. That's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We must care about what Jesus cares about. We say we are his disciples. (laughs) You know, they knew that uh, Peter was one of the disciples because he sounded like Jesus. He couldn't hide it. But uh, we're like disciples incognito all day long. You know, we had our job and nobody knows that we're a disciple. We just know that she always just speak her mind. You know, that's what we know. She's a disciple of herself. (laughs) All right, John 15, Luke 15, Luke 15, verse 7. And here we are, let's, I'm going to go up to f- verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing and happy. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need any repentance. So the Bible is saying here that Jesus rejoices, God rejoices when one person who doesn't know him comes to know him. That all of us here sitting in church because we already know him. We already know him. And he's saying that he is so concerned about the sheep that he will leave the majority to go get that one. So, A, we have to be concerned about what he's concerned about. 1 Timothy, 5, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says that it is God's will that all men should be saved. It's his will. This is what he desires. You know, it's a sad thing when you know that you know that you know what somebody who you say you care about love and they, what they're saying this is what they desire. And you go, gotcha. Now, in your marriage, that don't work too well, do it? I'm tired of telling you, I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, I've asked you over and over, charge up your cell phone. 
Can you keep your cell phone charged? Okay. You know, I tell you over and over and over, please don't let anybody come over unless you tell me first because I don't want the house to be clean. If you know that they don't like it or they want a particular thing, then why would you just deliberately, can't be bothered. We have to be concerned about what he's concerned about. Next thing, we must be convinced that there is a real need. That this is some serious business. We must be convinced that saving the loss is serious and for real. You know, the oil spill happened in the Gulf. And some people died, right? But you know, none of us cared. I mean, we didn't send no sympathy card to their families. We didn't even try to find out their families. We were just like, oh, thank God it's not my family. I don't even know if we went there because we just see it as something way beyond the distance. Oh, it's out there way in the Gulf. You know? And as time went on, then we started seeing pieces of oil slick coming up on the shores of Alabama. And then it was coming up on the shores of Mississippi. Then it was coming up into Louisiana. And now Florida. And now the coast of Texas. Now it's becoming a problem. But before, you know, we didn't care because, oh, that's way over there. And so, you know, because you're okay doesn't mean that it's okay. Just because you are happy in the marriage don't mean the marriage is a happy one. Just because you're good don't mean everything else is good. Just because... Your family wasn't affected by the Gulf yet. In my message, you're going to find out you are affected by the oil spill. Doesn't mean you don't act like anything is happening. Let's check out, let's check out Louisiana. They're a major fishing community. You know? I mean, you get your crawfish from Louisiana. That's why they're short right now. I've gone to like a couple of restaurants trying to get some crawfish. There's no crawfish. The oil has affected that. It's affected so many different things. And, you know... Bible says in Jude 1, 22, that we must have compassion for the lost. We must have compassion for the lost. I'm going to read that to you. It says here, and on some, having compassion, they make a difference. You will make a difference when you have compassion. When you realize that we have a real need. The, the, the oil spill is so serious. And I learned this from my sister-in-law. She did her master's, you know, she's really smart, you know. She did her master's in um, some kind of biology, something, something. But she was studying crude oil and how it needed to be broken down. When Exxon had that first oil spill, that's when she was graduating and doing her stuff. So she was studying how the bacteria and everything breaks down this crude oil. So when this thing happened, she and I were talking and she said, you know, Sarah, it's going to take at least 10 to 15 years to even clear up. Just for the ocean to get back alkaline and its, its levels to... This is, and she said, this is worse than Exxon. And it took the Exxon spill like 10 years. You know, and so what we began to realize was even though it seemed like it was far, it was near. It already started affecting me. You know how it was affecting me? Because I don't like farm-raised fish. I like wild caught. I want them swimming in the wild. Because there's too many toxins in the farm for it. So I don't like that. Well, I can't find no wild caught salmon. All the salmon in the stores are very light pink and fat. That is not wild caught salmon. Salmon is red. So my whole diet has already been affected by the whole thing. 
So I'm saying to you, here it is in Louisiana, they've lost jobs. They've lo you know, people who had their own fishing companies are now working as maids in hotels. Because it's not affecting you don't mean it's not affecting you. Let me give you some statistics here. I'm going to read something in Micah for you because, you know, it's not really a book that we read all the time. So I'm just going to read it for you instead of waiting for us to go try and find it. I have no idea where it is. It's right before Nahum. But Micah 7.19 says that he will have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Jesus has compassion on us. Then James 5.20 says, he that converts a sinner hides a multitude of sins. How do you hide a multitude of sins? If you convert a sinner, they change. The things that they would do, that they would normally do being evil, they don't do anymore. So you change things to come. Let me give you some statistics. Every 44 seconds, a baby is born in the U.S. That means that by the end of service today, we're going to have a little church. There's people already that need saving. If every 44 seconds somebody's being born. The USA has the highest rate of teen pregnancy in the Western world. The highest. And we are not the biggest nation. Canada is bigger than us. One third of girls will get pregnant in their teen years. This is what the statistics say. So one out of three, every other third teenager that's a female will get pregnant. That's not good. 14 million single parents in America, including dads. 14 million kids or families are being raised without both parents. Now, you know, if you're a single parent, you can't be at home all the time. So we have a lot of kids at home being, you know, latchkey kids. So they have to raise themselves. Out of necessity is not something you want to do. It's something sometimes you just have to do. But it's real, right? 157,000 crimes are committed in a school each day across the U.S. 8.3 million people contemplated suicide last year or committed suicide. 11 million people deal with life-threatening eating disorders. This doesn't have the people who board and just, just, they just, you know, have this disorders, period. These are life-threatening, that they could die because of it. 11 million people in the U.S. alone. There is a need. If we lead people to Christ, their lives can change, their filters can change, their perspective can change, their actions can change. Then you don't have to really worry about your kids being in school or your kids being left at home alone or that kind of stuff. Because you know the influences that they will have will be good because we led them to the Lord. But without us leading people to the Lord, we perpetuate this cycle of murders and rapes and incest and, and degradation because they have nothing to change and convict them. Nothing there to say, no, that's wrong. Nothing there to say, hey, pull back. No Holy Spirit to temper their temptations. No Holy Spirit to change their appetites for drugs. Not, nothing can deliver and break and set free but Jesus. Nothing can. Therapy can't do it. Psychiatric care can't do it. Electric shock can't do it. If we don't change the heart of people, the actions of people don't change. We have to reach the lost. If we don't reach the lost, we put our children in jeopardy. When we clean up this oil spill or it, it cleans up, it's going to take years 
But when you change a life for Christ, it affects generations. It affects your children's children. You break family curses when you lead people to Christ. When you, you know, when I got led to Christ and then Che got led to Christ. I mean, do you know not our children are Christians? We come from a heathen family. The highest grossing heathens in Jamaica, I believe, at the time. We're some heathen people. But now we are affecting generations to come. Our kids don't, don't see no other way but being a Christian. You know, there's not going to be incest in my family like it was on my generation. It's not going to happen in heaven's generation. Because the people around her are saved. The Bible says that we are salt and light like we sang. That's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Everybody is also connected. So you not only have to have a concern, you need to be convinced that this stuff is for real. This is some serious stuff. Just because it seems like it's not affecting you, it is affecting you. Everybody is connected. Everyone has a sphere of influence. You influence others through your speech, through your example, through your life, lifestyle. But I believe the way that you influence people the most is how you deal with your storm. How you deal with what you are going through. Turn with me to Mark 4. Matthew then Mark. Mark 4. And we're going to go to Mark 4 verse 36. How you deal with situations in your life and how people see Christ in your life is one of the greatest ways I believe you influence people. Right? I believe, according to the Bible, that he gives us a very good example. So here we are, Mark 4, verse 36, and I'm going to read this for you. It says, um, 35, and on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. So Jesus was in a boat, but there were other boats. That were going with Jesus. And a great windstorm rose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already doing what? It was already filling. Was it full? No, was it full? What did it say it was doing? So it was still in the process of being filled, correct? All right. But he was in the stern sleeping on a pillow. That's how I know Jesus come from a good family. You know, he liked pillows. He don't like sleeping on a hard floor. <laughs> He sleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're dying? Okay, remember the boat was filling. But they're talking about dying. Okay, okay. Then he rose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He didn't even say little faith. He said no faith. Here's the deal. What is a role that Christ plays in your life when you're going through a crisis or a situation or a, a circumstance? I believe that the boat symbolizes us. I believe that Jesus is with us because we're already born again. So he is Lord in our life. But he could be sleeping inside the boat because we don't really use him. He, he's, so, he's so comfortable, he's on a pillow. The way we haven't used him to help us in, and, you know, call on him. 
He, I mean, he all up in a blanket and everything, the storm going. He, he didn't even know, you know, know what's going on over there. They hadn't talked to me in a while, so okay. Or we can do like the disciples did, and we go gossip. We tell everybody else. Because the Bible didn't say that Luke came to him and said, hey, Jesus, you know, or Peter came to him or Matthias or nobody. It said they. That means they talked about all what was going on first before they even came to Jesus. There's a storm out here. You don't see, he don't care. He over there sleeping on the pillow. Oh, my goodness. Where he got the pillow from? Uh, you know, he don't see this boat filling up. Oh, past my big toe. Now, ooh, up to my ankle. We're going to die. Yeah, we're going to die. By the time they came to him, they said, we're perishing. They're like, we're dead. But the Bible, the verse before us just said it was just filling. Okay, so when we are going, remember the little boats are falling, you know. So the storm was affecting the little boats too. And they were watching the disciples in the big boat. And so here it is. We can respond by letting Jesus stay asleep. We can call on him on the front end, like what we're supposed to do. Or we can gossip like what they did. Or we can just flip out like what they did. They just freaked out. You know, storm, storm. You know, this kind of stuff. How do we freak out even though he's on board? He's on board. And so then he, um, he rebukes them. Because they were not convinced that he was able to fix this situation. Because he says to them, how are you of no faith? You have no faith. I live in your life, but you have no faith because you don't use me. And you have all these other people, your co-workers, your family members, all these people watching what we're going through. And they see, oh, they have no faith. And they say they're a Christian. Wow, but I saw them. They're telling everybody. Everybody know their business, but I haven't heard them talk about the Lord in this. Everything that we go through, every storm that we're going through, somebody's witnessing how we deal with it. We're connected whether we like it or not. I want to let you know, you know, I have real criminals in my family. Some of you may have fake criminals. Um, fake criminal is like somebody who went to jail for a night because, you know, they had a ticket. A fake criminal is somebody who, you know, went, you know, had a warrant and spent like 20 days maybe. No, real criminal. Like in jail, prison. No, we, we, we don't go to jail. We go to prison. Okay, that, that's real criminal. When you go prison level, you're not real criminal, right? My criminal was actually a criminal. It wasn't a false accusation. The system didn't do them wrong. <laughs> it wasn't a big man's fault. No, they are genuinely a criminal. So the criminal I'm talking about is my mom. Real Bonnie and Clyde stuff, you know. I mean, she just was a real criminal. So she, um, some of her criminal activities include, you know, she was a hustler. Just take that however you want to take that. Um, you know, children are in here. You know, you have other magazines, but hustler would be one. So she, let's just start there. All right. I, I mean, I'm telling you the truth. She's not alive now, so she really would. I mean, she could tell you herself, but I'm telling you the story for her because I have the mic. So anyway, um. That was one aspect of her criminal activities. The other aspect was she was a drug hustler. So she used to make crack and sell it, you know. So that was where she picked up her marketing skills and sales pitches and things like that. 
So, you know, she's inexperienced. She never graduated college, so she never even went. She left high school, got married and pregnant at 19, or got pregnant first and married. I'm not quite sure which way it went. She was pregnant first. Okay, that's what he wants to believe because he was the child she's pregnant with, but okay. <laughs> he doesn't want to have any rejection issues. <laughs> All right, so she was 19. She was pregnant. Um, one of the most fun parts, though, you know, she used to ride bikes. You know, things like that. Um, I mean, which is all cool to me. But the thing that I enjoyed the most was watching when she would take the plates and make her own money. She'd make her own U.S. dollars in Jamaica. So she had her own currency going on. Um, she would spend thousands of dollars at these big, you know, stores and buy jewelry. And nobody knew that this is not real money. This is called fraud. Like here, this is Fraud. White-collar crime, federal prison doing time. Yeah. So these were just some of the things. She got deported from the United States. She was further deported from Trinidad and Tobago. She cannot go into Cayman. I mean, she's an international criminal. So my mom decides, uh, you know, she, she was high one day and thought some bubbles were going to her heart and decided to take a pair of scissors and cut her hand to take the bubbles out. So when she did that, she collapsed because she bled out, right? She collapsed. So, you know, when she did that, me and my brother, we were living at our true group leader's house at the time. So you sell group leaders, very important. We were living at our true group leader's house. Um, not, I mean, our father lived maybe 15 minutes down the street. Why did all his three children were up at her house? I have no clue. But anyway, we were living up there for months and months. Okay. And um, thank God for true group leaders. So we were up there. So my mom, you know, goes to the hospital. Me and my brother were frustrated with her. I mean, frustrated because she tries to protect us, you know. When her name would be in the newspaper for her criminal activities, she tried to use her maiden name so people wouldn't associate with us. We know her name, you know, so that kind of stuff. And um, finally we told her, you know, if you don't get saved, you don't do something, we're done with you. We can't keep doing this. We can't. We can't. We can't. We just, we're stormed out. We, we stormed out. We, just with you alone, we stormed out. We can't handle a lot of storms. Just you have stormed us out. So she got saved. She got born again. Two weeks later, you know, as a matter of fact, she got saved. And, of course, when you are dealing with a drug user, you cannot put them back in the same environment. Right? So my cell group leader allowed her to come into her house and live with us. Now, I know 99.9% .9 of y'all wouldn't take no drug person up in your house with your kids. But I know... That this lady did that for us. And she um, began the process of, be, of being withdrawn and did all that stuff, right? Well, what happened is that she needs a job now. Because, see, you remember her hustle was dealing drugs. So now she don't have no job. So she goes and applies for a marketing manager job. Hmm? Let's just start. Marketing manager job. She goes to this guy and she, goes and she you know, interviews, you know, she could dress now. So she, you know, she, you know, when she put herself together, you know, I mean, it's a whole nother story. So she comes in there like she really knows what she's doing, right? Remember her marketing experience? Remember what that was? All right. So, so she goes and she uh, interviews with this man. And when she interviews with him, he, um, she tells him, hey, I was on drugs. I just got out. I, you know, I have a rap sheet. You don't even need to investigate my history. I'm going to tell you because if you find it, there's stuff you really want to know. You know? And he says that he'll hire her. He will hire her and he respected her honesty. Well, why is this important? Because 
When she told him that she was born again, she said, I'm no longer a drug addict. In her mind, she was no longer a drug addict, even though she was just free like two, three weeks. Now, we would have been like, you're not clean long enough to say that. But you know what? She said, I'm, I'm not a drug addict anymore. And he believed her testimony. She got hired, and it so happened that he's the man that ended up paying for our wedding that pastors told you about. Not only did he pay for our wedding, then I had the opportunity and I led his entire family to Christ. And his son is now a minister in the gospel. That's the power of influence. So I don't care what your history is. You still have influence. Who would have thought my cracked up, jacked up mama would have that kind of influence? To this point that this man is now in politics in Jamaica. So you never know who you're going to reach. Your story is enough. Your story is enough. Your influence is enough to change people because now his whole family is saved. Amen? Amen. How do you connect with these people? The first thing you're going to do is, I gave you some cards. Did you get these cards, these cute little cards? It's the Go Mobile card. You see that? Go Mobile and you get Go Mobile My my Faves. (laughs) I don't know which other company took my idea. <laughs> you know, go mobile. What's in, who is in your faith five? All right, so this is what you're going to do. I'm going to give you some practical steps on how to actually walk this thing out. How do you actually minister to others and get them for Christ? Because now you realize that you, there's a need, right? If we don't affect the world, the world is going to infect the church. If we are not that light on the hill... We're not that salt in the earth. It's going to be watered down in a minute. So it's up to us. We hold the destiny and our culture in our, in our hands. We can change a culture. If Martin Luther King could change laws, we can do the same thing. All right. My faves. On the front, you see a little yellow side. It has five things. And I know some of you are going, oh, that's not big enough for me to write. Well, see, I really didn't think you all knew all these international people like Sukuraka, you know, Ogabande. I didn't think you knew anybody like that. So I figured you knew like Kim, Lisa, <laughs> Michelle, and you know how you do, you call them Shelly, you know. So I want you to put their initials, five people that you're going to target for the Lord. These five people uh, can, may not know Christ. These five people may um, know Christ but are not living for him. These five people may just, uh, whatever, but you're going to five people. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, relatives, acquaintances, the lady in the Walmart line, target five people, right? The next thing you're going to do is you're going to pray for those people. You're going to pray for those people. You know why? Because even if they reject or resist your testimony, they can't reject your prayers. Because they're not in your house telling you, stop praying for me. Stop it, I say. No, you can pray all day long for them. (laughs) And prayer works. Prayer works. So you pray for them, and this is what you're going to pray for. You're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to inspire you with what to say to them. You're going to pray for that because God gives an increase. He's not asking you to do everything. He's just asking you to do something. Okay? The next thing is you want to pray for opportunity. That's Colossians 4, 3 to 6. Pray for the opportunity to do, to do good to them and wisdom to maximize that opportunity. That's what that scripture covers. You're going to pray for boldness. 
Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. You're going to pray that you have the boldness to go and tell somebody about the Lord or share your testimony. You're going to pray, according to Mark 4, that they'll be receptive. And that the enemy won't steal the testimony or the words that you're giving. The next thing you're going to do, you're going to open up the conversation. So this is the spiritual part. You're going to be praying for them. You write down their name. You're going to pray for them so that their hearts start getting ready, ready for you, you know. And then you're going to break into conversation. And you're going to do it by finding something in common. Like you say, oh, what? Your mom is from Tyler too? Oh, my gosh. Do you know so-and-so? Oh, jeez. That's how you're going to start. You're going to find out what's common. Oh, you're a cute dog too? Oh, so I'm saying you start all that. What's the group you is? Oh, you're a capo. All right. Go on there, capo, capo. You see what I'm saying? You can start there. You can start there. You can be like, oh, I'm a, whatever that is, you know. Oh, that's my sorrow. Yeah, they're your sorrow, but you don't testify about Jesus. Hello. Thank you. That's what I'm saying. You have got it. We can play basketball together as um, sorority people. We can do all this fundraising stuff, but, oh, we're not going to talk about the Jesus thing. Okay, well, I'm challenging you. Go to your peoples. All right. Break into conversation. Find something in common. Compliment them. Hey, you know, I really like your hair. Where do you get it done? Da-da-da. You know, man, I like that shirt, man. Da-da-da. K or cater to a need. Find out what they're going through and help them. You don't have to necessarily always financially help them. You can offer wisdom. You can give them a book. You can give them a CD. You can help them, right? Most people come to Christ because they need him, not because they love him. Because you don't know him enough to love him. And the Bible says in John 15 that he loved us first. We didn't love him. I've chosen you. You have not chosen me because I loved you first, right? So the Bible says that because he loves us first, he's not expecting us to love him right off the bat. But he can meet our needs, exceed our needs, and fulfill our needs. So if your friends or family have a need, introduce them to the person who can fill those needs. Find out what that need is because most people come to the Lord because of their needs. Visit them in difficult times. Invite them to dinner or coffee. That's where you want to start building a relationship. Some people you can just burt it out with and tell them their testimony. Some people you may have to warm up by doing some of these things. And the last thing, you want to share your testimony. Mark 5, 17. It says, go tell your friends and brethren what good things the Lord has done for you. That can't be any clearer. Go tell your friends and your brethren what good, that means your friends and family, what good things the Lord has done for you. God's blessed your life through the teachings of Word of Truth Family Church. Invite them to church. God's blessed your life because, you know, he has maybe healed you physically or done something miraculous in your life. Tell your friends and family about it. Ask your friends or family if they want to live a better life. Tell them you can live a better life by committing your life to God. 79% of people who came to Christ or visited a church became because somebody directly invited them. So your influence is direct. Your influence is in power. It's powerful. We want you to invite people to church if you feel intimidated about talking to them about Jesus. Even though we pray that by the by this series, you have not felt intimidated and some of that has kind of died down for you and you've been praying for boldness and you've been reaching and fishing for God. If some of you are still kind of shy, invite them so they can see believers. They can see love in action. They can come and go, whoa, this is what a Christian is supposed to be. See, at Word of Truth Family Church, we don't want to be fake Christians. We want to be, like they say, 100 all the time. 100% all the time. Okay? No, we're not saying that you're perfect. Because we're not saying we're perfect. We've made mistakes. 
But what we are saying is be authentic and real about it. We're not saying talk about all your business either because I sure don't want to talk about all mine. But I am saying let people know that God is real and for real in your life. So when they come to the Word of Truth Family Church, they know that they're just, you know, if you used to smoke weed, hey, there's hope because there's a whole bunch of us who used to smoke weed up in here. All right, if you used to hoe around, there's a whole bunch of us who used to hoe around too. We just don't talk about it. Every sin is up in this camp right here. That's what I'm saying. Every sin. So there should be nobody coming here and feel judged and condemned and like they can't make it because we're making it. It may be little by little, but by God Almighty, we're making it. So tell them about the little that you're doing. Tell them about the little steps that you're making. Tell them about God and how great he is to you and what he is doing in your life. The little counts. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You know, it is at this time that we offer Jesus Christ to you. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes real quickly. If you want to live that better life, if you want to hook up with the Jesus that we serve, this Jesus that came.